0: Welcome to episode number 78, That Moment of Truth. I am your host, Damon Soka. Now, I hope today you will excuse my voice. I seem to have gotten a little cold. Now, I was thinking this last week about a story told to me in my youth. The story is fiction, but it was intended to drive home an important point about that moment of truth we will all face one day. Perhaps you've heard it. As the story was told to me, Two people were to be interviewed as part of their final judgment. This particular interview was the final one of many. This one determined kingdom and glory. Now both people sat across from one another in a small hallway, and a door opened, and the person conducting the interview called the first person into the room. Inside this room, there were only two comfortable chairs seated in the middle of the room and just the one door. The individual who had called the first person into the room was warm and friendly and eager to discuss this person's life. The interview started easy enough. There were discussions about family and friends, a recounting of various experiences in life, good and bad, and of course those things that had been learned. Now, While the first person was a little nervous, this initial discussion really had a calming effect. As the interview progressed the questions naturally became more intense and soul searching how well did you know your savior how well did you treat your companion your children and your neighbor how well did you devote yourself to the church and its cause you now there was no ability to hide the truth whether good or bad it was as if the person interviewing could see right through every answer now the strange thing the strange thing was that it appeared this person the person interviewing seemed to already know everything about the interviewee. Now, the questions finally came to a close, and with a warm hug and a gentle nod, the interviewer ushered the person down the hall to the next room, where the final reward would be given. It was the second person's turn for their interview. Now, the person conducting the interviews watched as the first person walked through that final door at the end of the hall. It was then that he turned to the second person to be interviewed. Without a word passing between them, the second person dropped to their knees and said, My Lord, my God. Now the question, of course, is why didn't the first person see the Lord? The answers could vary in many directions, but the main point is how do we come to know the Savior and to become like Him so that our moment of truth is one of joy? The secondary point to all of this is how do we do it when our system of motivation is altered by an illness so intrusive as to change our very nature for a period of time? Sometimes it can feel as though we are working to this one moment where the rewards begin and we can finally enter into our rest. We've done it. We're exalted. We get everything. Now I can coast after that, right? I've won. i fought the good fight, and now I get to live with God in eternity. It can feel as though if I put in enough work here in mortality, maybe I get a bigger mansion with a pool, maybe a better view of the eternal worlds, maybe I get to live a little further up on the mountain of the Lord. From that point, I go on to create worlds and, of course, help out the next generation. I get to give out commands, create worlds, and answer prayers, right? Or is that not it? As far as the rewards, we have not been told much about celestial life. If we consider that we will be doing that which our Father in Heaven does, then we do know a few things about that world. We know that it's organized in families according to a patriarchal and of course a matriarchal order, so we'll just call it a parental order. We know that a physically a physical celestial body is different from the under kingdoms of glory, and of course those kingdoms not of a glory. We can probably suppose that couples who are exalted in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom are allowed to continue in the creative process and bring forth spirit children and likely aid in the creation of spirit animals and plants. We know very little about the spiritual creative process or even the physical creative process that our Father in Heaven and Savior used and continues to use. We know that the reward is worth the work, but ultimately that reward is eternal life, and we just probably can't comprehend all that that Reward really entails. Now, as one thinks about this mortal life and its relationship to eternity and what is beyond, mortality seems like such a short amount of time to dictate such an extensive reward. If you live 80 years on this planet, and not everyone does, can you measure eternity from 80 years of mortal data? I mean, that is really what we are doing, right? The Lord is taking in all of the data we create during our life and then extrapolating our eternity from it. The older I have gotten, and the more I think about it, our time on this earth is short. Very short. And even if I could live a millennium on the earth, would that be enough data to extrapolate my eternity? I would say if the Lord only had mortality to judge our lives, and pre-earth life never existed, I personally would find it difficult to say that just 80 or fewer years is enough data to know what I will be like in a million years, or even further. Now, I'm not talking about this to create doubt in your mind about the Lord's wisdom and our mortality. With the eons of gods that have been created and now live, I am certain that mortality has been wisely constructed to give the Lord exactly what he needs to provide a just reward. I don't question the wisdom of mortality or what the Lord does to get us to the day of judgment. But what I do think is that he really could not have judged us solely on these few mortal years. I think that there is f- far more to judgment than just a few events in the mortal time frame. Now today that is some of what I want to discuss. I want to talk about judgment because I think it causes a lot of those of us who suffer and a lot of people who don't suffer really too much concern and wonder. Now, What I will talk about today is probably more about perspective. We will be certainly judged upon our actions words and deeds but there is another element to judgment that is critical to everything and that is the why why did we say why did we do and why did we think the things we did what caused us to act or even what caused or well what caused us to act or even what caused us not to act in a certain way the why will more often be the determining factor in our reward even more than the actions, words, and deeds. Now, I believe wholeheartedly what matters to one who suffers from mental illness is the why, because it changes the way we think about judgment, the gospel of Jesus Christ and Savior, and really the entire plan of salvation. Now, before we get to the concept of motivation and why, there's an incredibly important part of judgment that is often overlooked, and that is the influence of our pre-mortal life upon our mortal life. Why we will be judged solely for what we have done in this mortal world, our premortal life has a great deal to do with judgment. Now, as I have discussed previously, we bring to this world a host of experiences and knowledge that we can access through the light of Christ or the Spirit. Our premortal experience plays a significant role in providing for our mortal experience and judgment. Our premortal state was no ordinary experience, and that can be seen through the simple commandment to be baptized. As part of the atonement, Christ suffered and provided a pathway for children who do not reach the years of accountability in mortality to automatically obtain celestial life without baptism. Now, From a purely fairness standpoint or justice standpoint, this automatic entrance into celestial life could not happen if these spirits did not have a pre-mortal life and had not already qualified for celestial life meaning if they, that if they needed training or further refinement before they could be admitted to celestial life, then it would be against the idea of justice and fairness to allow them to enter into celestial life without the mortal experience. Well, put in another way, if these spirits were allowed to continue in mortality and become accountable, they could in no way be in jeopardy of a lower kingdom. Justice provides the truth that anyone dying before the years of accountability and given automatic entry into the celestial kingdom, must have already proven themselves worthy of that kingdom in the pre-mortal world. So it was, and is possible, possible to be judged celestial without being tested in the mortal world. Now, that idea extends even to those who would continue into mortality and accountability, but had been judged worthy of celestial life. I believe there are many individuals walking the earth who had been sufficiently tested in premortalities so as to be deemed worthy of celestial life. They've been placed here to help those who are still working for that goal. Now, why does this understanding of premortal life matter to our judgment? It matters in the sense that it accounts for the short experience here on the earth. The Lord already knows us and our lives before this earth. He could place us in our various kingdoms even before this mortal life. This earth is to be a learning experience but really more of a final test for many individuals so that judgment and ultimately the assignment to various kingdoms will be demonstrated by mortal evidence. We will know by our own actions in mortality the kingdom to which we belong and in which we will find the greatest happiness. Telestial beings are happiest in the Telestial Kingdom. Place them in the Celestial Kingdom and they will be far less happy than in the Telestial Meaning that in the end, the Savior will provide for the greatest happiness we can attain, obtain through, our, through this evidence and our own experience. Now back to the why is the why so important. Now I don't think I have to tell anyone who suffers with mental illness that our outward actions often do not reflect our true intentions or nature. So stick with me through this discussion until the end. Half of this story is just not going to do you any good today. What we feel, understand, and see with our heart matters far more to the Lord than what we actually do. Now, Don't get me wrong. We are not saved by grace or good intentions alone. We aren't saved by our belief alone. We are saved after all we can do. The book of James in the New Testament discusses this idea with great clarity. Good intentions do not constitute a basis for celestial life. Actions, words, thoughts, and deeds that flow naturally from our good intentions is the basis for celestial life. The Lord cannot take an outward action on its own merit. He must consider the reason and the motivation for the action. Now, I'm gonna, Let's take actually a fairly easy example of this. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints contains a few rules for our health called the Word of Wisdom. This encompasses what we take into our bodies and what we should not, And depending upon your view of taking care of our bodies, it might entail even other concerns regarding our health. For now, I'm going to stick with the simple example of alcohol. Let's take two people who drink. Both drink for the same reasons. They like the social aspect, and they also like the drug aspect. Each of them comes to a point in their lives that they decide that it is time that they quit. The first person is concerned for their health and a liver problem that has shown its face through some blood tests. The second person actually has the same liver problem, but that is not the only reason he has quit. He has discovered the Lord's church and doctrine, a testimony of Christ, and has come to the knowledge of its truth. Now he not only changes because of the liver issue, but he is motivated to keep the commandment issued by the Lord. Now ultimately the outward action is the same for both. Each quits for the entirety of their lives to drink alcohol. The action from the outside appears to be identical and it both appears to be good. However, it is good for their physical health, it is good for both of their physical health, but for only one of them it is good for their spiritual health. Now one might say, hey, they both quit. Shouldn't they get the same reward? If you see celestial life as something to have rather than a lifestyle to live, then I would say that your logic would be correct. However, the truth is Is celestial life is not a place, a possession, a throne, or a mansion. It's a way of life. But what happens if the first? Let's just say what happens if the first person finds out that the liver test was wrong or inaccurate, and that they really don't have a liver problem. Now the odds of them returning to the alcohol are probably going to be fairly high. The motivation for the change has actually been removed. However, the second person has a far more eternal and defining motivation which we would call actually faith in Jesus Christ. With that motivation, the change remains, even when the test is found to be inaccurate. And that motivation becomes part of his life in a natural way through the power of the Spirit to make those changes of nature. When we talk of celestial life as a reward, I think sometimes it gets lost in translation. Celestial life is certainly a reward, but a reward to be lived, not obtained. Celestial living is a way of life, not some seat on a throne. Now, this is the main problem with Lucifer's plan. He could never have created proper motivations in nature through faith with his plan. One can say the same about the terrestrial kingdom and the celestial kingdom. These are not simply places, but a way of life determined by our motivations. Telestial people are not in that kingdom because they act celestial, it is because their nature is celestial. Judgment isn't so much about our actions in, in some senses, but our nature and the outcomes of that nature. A person who possesses a celestial nature will be naturally inclined to have celestial actions. Now, have you ever considered the definition of charity given in Moroni 7 and even the definitions of what a leader should be in Doctrine and Covenants 121? Now, Moroni 7.45 actually states the following, and charity suffereth long and is kind and envieth not, not puffed up, seeketh not her own, not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Doctrine and Covenants 121, 41 states the following: No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by the priesthood, only by persuasion, long suffering gentleness, meekness, and love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge. Did you notice that each of the definitions describes a nature, not a particular action to be taken? Each scripture discusses character quality traits that must be embodied and produce the celestial nature. With the correct nature, celestial actions naturally follow. Judgment will not be a list of actions of wrong and right, weighed in a balance, with the repented actions removed from the did-wrong side of the balance. It's about your nature, and the actions that follow your true nature. So if this is true, can anyone become celestial? And what about those of us who suffer? Now we know that many of us, if not all of us, will not be to a celestial point at the time of judgment. And this is actually of great concern to many, that they will not make it. Now, Joseph Smith, the prophet of the Restoration, has spoken about the idea that it will be many years beyond our death and even possible resurrection before we are fully perfected. What this means to us in mortality is that we may not be complete or perfected during our mortal sojourn or even during our time in the spirit world, but that we will eventually become so through the Savior's grace and our efforts. What is critical to celestial life is that we are willing to do what it takes to qualify for celestial life. Our actions projected into the future must demonstrate that we're willing to do what it takes to change our nature and become celestial in heart and mind. Okay, I know, this presents a problem, especially for those of us who suffer mental illness. How do you change a nature? Is it a fake it until you make it type of thing? I mean, how do I even know if my nature is changing? especially when I'm in and out of episodes. It seems to complicate our judgment rather than really help me move forward in this life. I know. I get it. I struggled for many years with the idea of if I will ever make it with this illness. It was simply not going to be possible for me. I was going to need to accept something far less in kingdoms and not worry about it. If a change of nature was going to be required of me, then my illness was going to be such a detriment to getting there that I might as well quit stressing myself out myself over getting into the celestial kingdom and just accept the fact that it's going to be different a different kingdom. Now before you give in to that doomsday voice and I know it's there, let's talk a little bit about that process of change. We refer to the process of change as repentance. And yes, there are some basic steps to repentance. the first being of course, recognizing that you have that something you have done is wrong. While we don't state this often when we say recognizing the wrong, it is important to note that wrong can mean more than just an outward evil action. Wrong is about having a wrong intention and the action. Now, The first part of Moroni 7 talks about this and the idea that we can actually give charity, money, time to help others for more selfish reasons than for the more celestial reasons. Meaning, That just because we gave of our means to charity in some form, it doesn't qualify as a celestial act. Now, I often think of it this way, and this is my own personal way of thinking about it. If we give our tithes and offerings as a free will gift with the intent that what we have is from the Lord, and our gift recognizes this and His hand in our life, and we are not concerned with where the money goes or who exactly it helps, in other words, we seek no recognition for it, then we are probably on more of a celestial road if we give our tithes and offerings to help others but really don't recognize the lord in our lives then we are probably more likely on a celestial road i'm sorry a terrestrial road if we give for more personal recognition and tax breaks then we probably are more of a terrestrial road while we might give the exact same amounts of effort time or money The intent is really what determines the kingdom. We must always be cognizant as to the why or the purpose of our actions. After all, did not Cain offer an offering just like Abel? The only difference was intent, and that intent caused Cain all kinds of trouble. A change of nature is far more than behavior modification. It is a change of heart or nature modification. This can only be done in conjunction with the Spirit of the Lord and in no other way. Now, how is the change of nature brought forth then? Do we just pray and wait for it, for the Spirit to change us? Prayer is certainly one of the main components of change and repentance. We do need to ask forgiveness and ask on a regular basis for the change. But it is important to note that action is also required. We are required to modify our behavior, even if the motivation is slow to follow. So yes, in a sense, we are asked to fake it, but not in a selfish sense. We act in this manner so as to provide a sign that we're willing to change and have a desire for the change. And the Lord and his spirit will follow in time based upon our willingness to change our actions. We actually end up having faith that the Lord will cause the change to occur in our hearts If we are willing to go forth and change our behavior. So what does this mean for those of us who suffer with motivation altering illnesses? It means that we continue to do our best in a sense asking for the Lord's help even when we don't feel like changing or even have any motivation. The Lord fully understands what he has given us as a weakness in our lives and he only expects that we do our best with what we have been given And that includes our desires and motivations. In essence, while we're trying to do what is right, in essence, while we are trying to do what is right without the correct intent, the Lord sees it as a sign that we desire our hearts to be changed. I always worried and doubted my life would ever be good enough for the Lord because my motivations were rarely celestial during my episodes. I failed regularly in the motivation department. Sometimes I wondered if the Lord could accept anything I did, but I've come to learn that he accepted my efforts even when I did not have the appropriate motivation, because he knew that I was not capable of having those proper motivations. When we have been given a weakness that alters our motivation, then you can be assured that the Lord accepts your efforts to live the gospel when the illness takes away that motivation. We live the gospel with faith that the Lord will make those changes in us over time. Now you're probably saying that I really have not seen any changes in my life. Change of nature is going to be difficult to see in many senses. Our nature is truly our reality, and so as our nature changes, so does the reality. I can only really see my subtle changes of nature after many years of working through challenges, because I cannot return to my previous reality to check on my current reality our change is going to be imperceptible to us. So how do you know if you're even doing what's right or changing? While you can certainly see it through others who might see those changes in you, the only way I know of to fully understand our changes of nature is to feel that change of heart through the Spirit of the Lord and through celestial communications, what we know as personal revelation. I know that those types of communications are very difficult with mental illness and even more difficult to retain, But the Lord will let you know if you are doing enough. Remember that anxiety and depression are always going to tell you the opposite. Feelings brought about by those illnesses will always direct you to the ideas that you are not doing enough, you cannot do enough, and you will never be enough. One of the most difficult things in life for those of us with mental illness in the gospel is to remain on the path the Lord has directed when the voice of the Lord becomes dark or muddled by the mental illness. The feeling that we can never do enough or never be enough can cause significant stress in our lives. Anxiety and depression can cause us to want to give up so that the anxieties will decrease. If I can never be enough, then of course, removing myself from the stress and trying to be enough will lower my anxieties. Actually, you will find that quite the opposite is true. Giving up on the trying and removing yourself from the Lord and the gospel will actually make you feel far more lost and anxious. Sure, initially, you might feel some relief of the pressure, but then a whole new level of anxiety and depression will come upon your life, and you will feel even more lost than you were previously. Leaving the comforting arms of the Lord, when you, even when you can't feel them, is going to leave you to a far more cold and dark place. When these thoughts come upon you, and they are going to come upon you in abundance, Sometimes it can be far better to simply maybe adjust our goals in life and reduce the burdens placed upon us until we can recover some of our desire, motivation, and will. What am I What I am saying is that we might have to reduce what we are doing so that we do not run faster than our strength will allow us. It's important to have high goals and to set goals, but also to be able to adjust those goals when our episodes creep in and take over our lives. Now, in the end... Judgment is not about what we have done so much as it is about what we have become. There will come a day when your illness is going to be lifted, and your true nature is going to be returned to you. You will find that not only has your illness strengthened you, but it has prepared you for eternal life in ways that you could not have imagined. You will be far more celestial than you ever expected, and you will feel that all those days fighting for the light have really been a great blessing rather than such a terrible burden. Now may the Lord be with you, and may you keep yourself in the fight so that the Lord can fight for you. Until next week.